from Rogers Arena, calling Canucks games. It is Brendan Bachelor, Bachelor, Bachelor. So who's going to be on the show next? Uh, like Faber? Yeah. When is Faber out of like radio jail? When do we get him back? We have a big announcement two weeks from tomorrow. Oh, yeah? That's all I'll say. Related to Faber or something else? Related, related. to Faber. Related to Faber. <laughs> More related to just we get to play. His There's theme no song way we're going to be able to wait two weeks to hear this big announcement. Now you got me all excited. You have to. Just suck it up. Man. Come on. <laughs> Alfred and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour three of the program. As the music suggests, uh, Brendan Bachelor will be joining us in just a moment here on the show. Hour three is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at Campbell-Pound. Dot com today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. To the phone lines we go, the play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks right here on Sports, Sportsnet 650. Brendan Batchelor here on the Halford & Bruff Show. What up, Batch? Good morning. Good morning. Gentlemen, how are you? Uh, we are well. How are you doing? How are you preparing for Boa Palooza? Are you hydrating regularly? <laughs> are you working on a couple different ways to work in? I'll tell you that for free. How are you getting prepped for Wednesday's game, Batch? Well, I'll definitely try to work in. I'll tell you that for free at some point. But right. um, yeah, you know, other than that, I, I'm just interested to see what the reaction is like for him. You know, as we talked about last week, I hope that uh, Canuck fans can recognize that he was an important part of this team and, you know, an important member of our community for, uh, you know, a good number of years here and, and sort of let one comment you know, slide and, and give him the, the reaction and the recognition he deserves. But I'll be interested to see if it's mixed when the Islanders take to the ice tomorrow night in Vancouver. What would you say Bo Horvat's legacy as a Canuck is going to be, Batch? Uh, that's a really interesting question. Wow, thank uh, you. A guy that a guy that did his best through a tough era for this group, I think. You know, if I think about Hallmark Bo Horvat moments, I, I look back to the bubble playoffs where uh, he was a, a force and, and scored a couple of really big goals in that series against St. Louis. Um, you know, he was he was a consummate professional, you know, um, never really ruffled feathers for the most part, you know, um, said the right thing in the media all the time, you know, was was part of, you know, some of the, the social causes that were important to the organization uh, and always spoke well in, in that regard, I thought. So those are the kind of things that I will remember about Horvat. I think, you know, a, a good statesman for this team through an era where they didn't have a lot of success on the ice, which is unfortunate because I think he really wanted to win here and really wanted to stay here, uh, and ultimately it didn't end up happening that way. You know, as you say, a tough era that he was here for, a lot of bad teams, and I do wonder, even though you know he was drafted, obviously, before Jim Benning joined the team and then traded after Jim Benning leaves as general manager, but I do think if we look back in 5-10 years, Bo Horvat's probably going to end up be, be the player we most associate with the Jim Benning era and for a lot of those reasons, right? Good player, but just the flaws and the flaws of, of the organization just ultimately standing in the way from anything more, anything better happening while he was here. Yeah, he'll be right up there with Louis Erickson and Oliver Ekman Larson in terms of players <laughs> that will be associated with the Jim Benning era. But yeah, you know, that's it. And, you know, I, I think Horvat at times was was 
not put in situations to succeed, obviously in terms of team success. But, um, you know, it was only really in the last couple of years that that he sort of evolved, especially last season, into a a top-level scorer for this group. Um, But, you know, I I think another important part of Horvat's legacy is, to a certain extent, how he outperformed expectations. You know, I can remember when he was drafted and and you looked at the style of his game and, and you weren't necessarily saying he could be a number one center for this team or, you know, is he going to be a bottom six guy going forward? We remember that playoff series against Calgary. He was playing down the lineup, but played very well uh, in his rookie year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, and you know, to, to see him sort of blossom into the goal scorer that he became later in his Canucks tenure, I think was a bit surprising. And so that probably may be part of Horvat's legacy as well, although I think this era, you're right, is going to be remembered less for individual performances and more for the lack of success of the team overall. But, you know, in some ways, Horvat outperformed my expectations of him too. We're speaking to Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, we have spoken quite a bit about these Islanders. You know, I, if Horvat's not there, they're not nearly as interesting a story, but there's still a lot there, the Barzell factor, given his ties locally and everything. And then there's their form coming into this. Like, we just talked to Mark Spector from Sportsnet, who got to watch him last night in that 4-1 loss to Edmonton, and he kind of gave them the big meh when he was doing his recap and review of what the Islanders are all about. He thought they were the better team through two periods, but they don't really have a lot of offensive weapons and they struggle to score goals. And last night was another example of that. We were only able to put one past Stuart Skinner. So in your pre-scout and prep for this one, what have you noted about the Islanders thus far? Losers of five coming into Wednesday's game at Rogers Arena. Yeah, you know, the the lack of offense is is certainly notable. Brock Nelson leads their team with six goals. Um, you know, so they're they're not as I don't know what the right word would be, but you know, in the past few years we've seen really good Islanders teams, you know, teams that went to the conference finals in back-to-back years and uh this team is not those teams. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see from a Canucks perspective how they perform because um, sometimes the first game off a road trip can give you some trouble. Um, you know, when you look at the the totality of the performances from the three games out in Eastern Canada, I think, you know, guys inside that dressing room would tell you that there's room for them to improve. Um, and, you know, with a, another busy week with, you know, three games in four nights, I'll be interested to see if despite Smith goes again tomorrow against the Islanders because then you've got a divisional matchup in Calgary on Thursday and you might earmark Demko for that one or, or do you do the the opposite of that? I guess we'll wait and see. But, um, you know, it's another game where you expect the Canucks to be favorites and you know as we go forward here that's not something that's happened a lot to this team in recent years so it kind of you know reverts back to what Rick Tockett has talked about which is dealing with prosperity and how you manage that and how you manage being the team that's expected to win on certain nights and you know I think It'll be another test for the Canucks in that regard, not in the same way as if you were playing, uh, you know, a top 
five top ten team in the league, but a test of of some of the underlying things that have maybe been slipping in your game a little bit of late in terms of can you get back to those staples that talk it talks about and execute to a high level against a team that on paper you should be beating. On the subject of Casey DeSmith, uh, one, how impressed are you with how well he's played this year, but also the volume that he's been able to shoulder so far? Yeah, I think the two go hand in hand. Um, He's able to shoulder more volume because of how well he's playing. And on top of that, uh, because of how well the team has done to start the year. If, you know, the Canucks had had another 0-5-2 start or something like that, then maybe Rick Tockett is is less likely to go to Casey DeSmith, for example, two out of three games on a road trip like he just did uh, because you're needing points every night. You know you're already behind the eight ball. You're trying to catch up. Well, this year it's the opposite. You've created a bit of a cushion for yourself, and while you don't want to rest on your laurels by any means, uh, if they can continue to you know either extend this cushion that they've created extend the gap between themselves and some of the other teams in the Pacific Division or just you know play good hockey so that they they have the upper hand going forward then it you know, it makes the coaching staff more comfortable that they can get DeSmith in there more often, especially if he continues to play well. And then, you know, that's good for for team confidence, for team success, and for Thatcher Demko in terms of getting him uh, enough rest that he can be an important part for you down the stretch and you hope into the playoffs too. So um, it's important that the coaching staff staff has confidence into Smith because then they're not going to ride the wheels off Demko but also this you know strong start to the season is important for DeSmith's prospects in terms of the number of games he might get too because uh, you know if you're not chasing two points on a nightly basis then you feel more comfortable going to him and you feel more comfortable going to him because of how well he's played as well yeah I'm going to be really interested to see who's in goal for the Canucks uh, tomorrow night badge because obviously a premier game with Bo Horvat coming back and maybe that uh, point towards Thatcher Demko, but then you do have the two divisional games, including the back-to-back with Calgary and then Seattle on the weekend as well. And, you know, you would love to roll out Thatcher Demko and really add to the misery that the Flames and the Kraken are feeling right now. You know, we've talked so much about the Oilers, but really, Mike and I were talking earlier in the show, you look at the Western Conference in general, there's a lot of struggling teams, including teams that people thought were going to be in the playoff mix this year. How surprised are you by the relative weakness of the Pacific Division and the Western Conference as a whole this season so far? Very surprised. Um, You know, I've said this a couple of times, but you know, as we all do when, you know, the, the season is approaching or it's it's the middle of the summer and you're chatting with friends or whatever, people always, you know, inevitably ask, oh, how are the Canucks going to be this year? Uh, and I said they're going to be better, but it's going to be tough for them in the Pacific Division. You know, coming into the season, I looked at it and you said Vegas is going to be there. Edmonton's going to be there. L.A.'s been good. And the Canucks will kind of be battling it out with the likes of Seattle and Calgary and then some of the teams in the Central Division for one of the wild card spots. When, in fact, um, you know, you, you see the gap that the Canucks have extended over both the Flames and Oilers, who, um, you know, to me, it's absolutely shocking how dreadful both of those teams have been to start this year and how big of a gap there is already it's what 13 points 
with the Flames and 14 points with the Oilers as we sit here on November 14th. I, I did not have that on my bingo card at all from a Pacific Division perspective. And, uh, you know, I, I hearken back to the comments that Jim Rutherford made at the start of the year when he, he said sort of everything's going to have to go right for us to be a playoff team. And I think Rutherford was speaking more internally about, you know, staying healthy, top players performing to their level, getting important depth contributions, Demko bouncing back and having a good year. And all of those things have happened, too. But the fact that, you know, everything has gone better than you could have expected from outside of what the Canucks can control in terms of the, the relative weakness of the Pacific Division and the, the the Western Conference as well, it just has set up a perfect scenario for this group where, you know, they've capitalized on a strong start to the year and give them credit for that. But they're also benefiting from the fact that a number of other these te- uh, other of these teams are absolute tire fires, too. And uh, from a Canucks perspective, long may it continue for them, because uh, with every passing day that the Oilers or the Flames don't battle back or, or start to get on a winning run, uh, you can, you know, more confidently say that this Vancouver team is is heading towards a playoff spot. Batch, one of the things that's gone well uh, among many, many things that have gone well for the Canucks is the performance of their bottom six so far this year. And with uh, with Teddy Bluger coming back, I mean, really, you've got 13 forwards, healthy forwards right now on the roster, but I think you feel pretty good about playing on any given night. It was Niels Hoaglander who came out to make way for Teddy Bluger, but Hoaglander, I think, has acquitted himself very well so far this season. How do you think it's a good problem to have, but it is uh, it is something to be to be managed, I think, for the coaching staff. How do you think they will manage the balance of, you know, keeping everyone fresh, keeping everyone engaged, but you don't want to make changes just for the sake of making changes either in that bottom six? Yeah, I think the the operative word is internal competition, and it's something we hear about all the time, whether it's, you know, in training camp or or whenever it might be, but there is legitimate internal competition now to have a spot in the lineup on a night-to-night basis if you're in the bottom six. You know, we've seen Dakota Joshua scratched this year. Niels Hoaglander's been scratched this year. Um, you know, I, I, based on the way they've played, I, I don't expect guys like Suter or Lafferty to be scratched anytime soon because, you know, they've they've been good depth performers for this group, but there's a level of accountability that, that Rick Tockett has now for guys that play down his lineup where you know if you don't have it or you you have a bad five game stretch then he can absolutely sit you out of the lineup because you've got you know strong options on the wings in particular uh, able to come back into the lineup and the return of Bluger makes that situation even even more interesting because Lafferty comes out of the middle and goes back to the wing so um, coming off a winning performance in Montreal it wouldn't surprise me if Hoaglander's a scratch again tomorrow but you know that to me is a great problem to have where the coaching staff can hold the players down the lineup accountable so that if um, you know, if guys aren't going or if you don't like their game or if they're getting away from the staples of the game, as Talkett would say, then maybe you'll sit for a game or two. And you know what? If the team's going well and you're out of the lineup, who knows when you're going to get back into it? Look at a guy like Jack Studnika, who's sat most of this season after having a really good training camp. On top of that, you know, they've got Niels Oman in Abbotsford, Vasily Podkolzin in Abbotsford, although he's, you know, dealing with uh, with injury recovery and things like that. But there are depth options on the wing that could come up from the AHL as well. So, um, you know, particularly on the wings, I think more than any other position for this organization guys have to be aware that if they can't 
you know, keep their game to a high level, they may very well be sitting in the press box. And that'll only be good for this group because it'll it'll motivate guys to continue to play the way that has allowed this this team to have success to start the year. Uh, Canucks practice this morning at 1130 at UBC. Media availability follows. And I guess at that point, we'll figure out uh, what's happened with Stadnika if he's cleared waivers and is on his way to the minors. And I guess we'll find out what's going on with Carson Soucy as well, Batch. Yeah, exactly. You know, the just sort of looking at it from the outside without any knowledge, my uh, assumption would be that you're waving stud Nika because you might need to recall a defenseman, mm-hmm. whether it will be short-term or long-term for Susie. You you may be, at least in the short-term, with three games and four nights this week, want to have a, a little bit of, of extra cushion there on the back end. So, you know, to me, that'll be interesting to see whether it's Willannon or Hirose or what they end up doing there. Uh, I wouldn't expect Studnika to be claimed on waivers, although I guess you never know with some of the, the teams that have struggled to start the year. Uh, maybe they would welcome a, a new face in their bottom six. But, um, but yeah, that, that's exactly what I expect that you know at some point this morning whether it be before practice or at practice we'll learn you know what has happened to uh well we'll learn in particular i guess they have to wait for for stud nika to clear waivers or be claimed and then we'll we'll learn what they plan to do in terms of whether there's a recall coming and uh i would imagine rick Tockett will address Su- uh, susie's status mm-hmm. and, and how long he may be out of the lineup after practice today Batch, thanks as always for doing this. Really appreciate it. Have a good call tomorrow night. Enjoy Bo Apalooza, and uh, we'll do this again next week. Oh, I will enjoy it. I'll tell you that for free. Oh, there it is. Uh, Brennan Batchelor, everybody. Play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The great thing about it is it never gets old. Really? <laughs> I feel like we've jumped the shark, and I'll tell you this. And, of course, I'm now about to read a text into the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket with... I'll tell you that for free joke. This one is from Austin and Langley. We don't normally do what we learn this way, but Austin and Langley brings up something that Jamie and I have wanted to talk about the entire show, and we've left it to right now. Austin and Langley writes, hashtag WWO what we learned. The NBA has mentioned Vancouver as a destination they'd like to be in. Don't tell Bo, but I guess we have good fans here. Actually, you can tell him that for free. Okay, you got out of your system, Austin? Are we good? Okay. Austin then goes on to write, All jokes aside, Vegas Vegas and Seattle seem like slam dunks for expansion. So would Vancouver get a relocated team? Welcome home, Memphis. Let's go right to the origin story here. Yesterday, NBC Sports Boston's doing the Celtics game, and they have NBA Commissioner David Silver on. David Silver. That's from 90210. Adam Silver. Wow. On. Yeah. Both Flipping popular. That. Both popular guys in their own right, right? Both very, very accomplished. Adam Silver is on during, not even the intermission, but like during the Just game. Just during the game. So There's the, like ba- baskets happening in the background. The audio is very, very convoluted. There's a lot going on. You've got Dennis Gorman and Brian Scalabrine, who are the play-by-play and color guys for the Celtics. You've got NBA Commissioner Adam Silver at courtside talking to them and having this really big rambling conversation about the future of the NBA, including... Expansion. I'll let the audio speak for itself here. If you can't hear it, we'll decipher the rest of it on the other side. But here is NBA Commissioner Adam, don't call me David Silver, talking during the Celtics game yesterday. 
Toronto and India tonight, Jack Armstrong, who's the color guy up there, was saying how the team, Raptors are, are a national team as opposed to a city's team. Are there more fertile grounds north of the border? Well, it's interesting. I mean, we, of course, had a team in Vancouver. Yes, they ended up moving to Memphis, you know, and that's become a great basketball market. I, mean, I will say the Toronto Raptors have done a good job with Masai Ujiri, Larry Tannenbaum as the, as the principal governor there, of making themselves Canada's team. So I think for right now, uh, you know, I know there's interest from Montreal. Yeah. We've heard from them. There's That's still, the first thought that comes to mind. Yeah, yeah, there's still ongoing interest in Vancouver. So one day, I mean, we, we have, I I, I'm going to get this number wrong, I think close to 25 players from Canada now in the NBA. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, looks are real good ones, too. Yeah, yeah, look how strong their national yeah. team has become. You know, young people really, you know, you know, it, it began so much as a hockey market when we first expanded there. Young people love basketball now. Obviously, they still love their hockey there, just like we do in Boston. But um, I, I, there will be more opportunity over time. It's 27 active Canadians in the NBA, Silver. Come on, David. Know Get your, it together. Know your league, David Silver. Um, so, you know, we were Jamie and I were joking before the show that uh, for as much as we love talking about the NBA coming back to Vancouver, it's also like kind of a joke that every time that the words NBA yeah. and expansion in Vancouver get mentioned, it's like, they said it. Yeah, they said the words. They said the line. It's and then, the Leo DiCaprio pointing meme. Like, you did then, it. And then the internet is flooded with think pieces and articles about the return of the NBA to Vancouver. The facts remain the facts, people. There are still two significant hurdles in the way. One is the arena situation, mm -hmm. and two is the absolutely insane amount of money it costs to either get an NBA franchise relocated or an expansion. It is astronomical, the amount of money. The, I think Adam Silver was about to go on, and he was about to say there's some issues with Vancouver, but then he got cut off. So yeah. He was about to explain that Vancouver has some barriers in the way. Yes, and Austin and Langley is 100% right. Uh, there was a couple reports overnight saying that it is the worst-kept secret in the NBA that the next two expansion yeah. locations are going to be Seattle and Las Vegas. And a big reason why, you can thank the NHL because there's proof of concept there that putting teams in those markets will work. Uh, Seattle never should have been without an NBA team. It's a crazy, crazy development that it's been without for this long. And Vegas was always an inevitability. Mm -hmm. Vegas is going to be an inevitability for everyone because everyone wants to get there now. And once the Oakland A's complete their move and the NBA goes there, they will be one of those cities that has all four major uh, sports leagues represented. But as far as Vancouver goes, I don't know. Do you have any additional thoughts? I didn't mean to I steal mean, everyone's thunder and like poo on the thing, but it's just not going to happen. I do think what, look, when the commissioner mentions it and brings it up as a possibility, I think it's worth, it's worth paying attention to and worth noticing. At least as you say, you're a hundred percent right about the two barriers, right? Ownership and the building. I actually think the building might be the biggest one yeah. because I can imagine if the, if the NBA is looking, okay, Hey, we want to expand more internationally. And that was kind of the thrust of the other comments from Adam Silver or two right like hey mexico city and montreal and we're a global game all of that right that's what he's talking about if they do see opportunities internationally and specifically as he references north of the border and they really want to go to vancouver i can see them hey if there's an owner who wants to buy in look it's going to be in vancouver mm -hmm. right it doesn't necessarily have to be a local vancouver person if there's just somebody or a group who wants to buy in and the nba is really keen on vancouver then that could solve the ownership issue the problem is it's not going to be at Rogers Arena. No. Nope. And where on earth do you put a building? 
And how do you get it built? Yeah, that, that's the biggest stumbling block for me. Yeah, I mean they got to get the practice facility sorted out, right? Even before we start talking about an NBA team, they seriously, can get their practice facility sorted out. Play them at BC Place. Oh God, um, the Raptors did it at Sky Dome. Why can't a Vancouver team do it at BC Place? Um, I can think of a lot of reasons. Yeah, Moo Cow, that truly horrible <laughs> idea. From an environment perspective, it wouldn't be very good, but you get them here. Before we go to break, one, stop talking. Two, before we go to break, um, on the subject of expansion, what's the one city that always gets mentioned when the NHL talks about expansion? Quebec City. They sit there patiently. They've built an NHL-ready arena. Every press conference that we used to go to when we worked at NBC, when Gary Bettman would do his State of the Union address, there was always the one guy from Quebec who was like, yes, I'd like to do the Quebec questioning now. And Bettman would sigh and he'd be like, okay, let's do this. Well, here's an interesting development. The LA Kings announced today that they are going to play a pair of preseason games in Quebec City next October. The announcement was made by Hockey Hall of Famer Luke Robitaille, who the press release does mention is a native of Quebec. I don't know exactly what this means. This isn't Robitaille speaking. This is me. Other than the fact that they're getting something. Maybe it's just the dangling carrot for the the entire thing. Because, again, if we want to talk about they're expansion. They're testing the waters, as it were. If we want to talk about expansion not happening somewhere, like how the NBA is not going to happen in <laughs> Vancouver, it's not going to happen. Not with that attitude. It's not going to happen in Quebec City. But I think this is a nod to the very least that they're still alive and kicking. They're, they are the framing video, it. What's it called? The Videotron? Videotron they are framing yeah. it like this. But I did also see a report that the Quebec government is spending $5 million to get the Kings there for a week. So it's not just the Kings going out of their way sure. to go to Quebec. They're being fairly compensated for that week in Quebec City. They they clearly want NHL attention in Quebec yep. City, though. That's, well, that's okay. the whole point and of this all. To be fair, just for the sake of honest and thorough reporting and journalism, none of which is applicable to the Halford and Bruff show normally, uh, the Kings have to play some of their preseason games on the road because they're doing renovations at Crypto.com during that time. Want to make five million bucks? One of the renovations should be like, stop calling it Crypto.com. Yes. Can we get another name on the building? Staples was fine. Staples is never going out of business. People always need printer ink. So I think that they should go in that direction. Anyway, Moo Cow, all that. We're going to go to break. We're going to come back with a Jamie Dodd non-sports what we learned. That's I'm right. very excited to I hear that. I got a good one, too. Andy has one as well. Greg, do you have one? No. Okay, so we're going to come back with A-Dog and Jamie Dodd. It almost rhymes. Wow. They're what we learn. It's coming up next on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. The People's Show with Big Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always dead. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. On the show. 8.32 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff featuring Jamie Dodd in for the vacationing Jason Bruff. Although apparently he's paying attention to the show. He just retweeted a video. Is that correct? Yeah, he retweeted our Bo Horvat comment. Are you on? Oh. You're on Bruff Watch. I am now. Apparently he's active. <laughs> Bruff's whereabouts. Mount Bruff yeah. is active, so we got to pay attention. We have geolocated Jason Bruff. He is face down in a beach somewhere in Mexico. Uh, it is what we learned time. That's coming up in a minute here. We are in the back half of hour three of this program. Hour three 
Brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the interweb at campbell-pound.com. Today, this entire operation, the entirety of Halford & Bruff, is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Um, okay. Let's reset here. I guess I should apologize to Greg because when Greg was making that very salient point in the previous segment about maybe they could play basketball at BC Place, uh, I rudely, rudely said, Greg, please stop talking. You didn't say please, I don't think. I think you just said true. stop talking. I just, yeah, yes. and I, you just straight up said <laughs> And I apologize because I should have said shut up, Greg, yeah. but I didn't. Anyway, um, one texter said that it came across as arrogant and condescending. We're not talking off the air. I'm only doing this as a courtesy, as a professional. <laughs> yeah, he it. speaks to you <laughs> through me now. The, the texter also hey dog, said... please tell Halford. Oh, God. The texter also radio. said he wanted to hear a little more about the idea. I don't know how well developed your play basketball at BC Place idea was. How many bullet okay, points there are to yeah. the plan, Ballard? Greg's got an entire slideshow. This guy was on board. <laughs> NBA to BC Place. Tell the, me more. The vision. The, the court is underneath, and then it just all flips over <laughs> yeah. with a big gear system. Yeah. Anyway, so I learned that I shouldn't have said that, but please, again, stop talking. Okay, um, let's do what we learned. So we're going to start with Jamie's the guest, right? right? So when it's someone comes a, into a, your house. A-Dog and J-Dod, as somebody pointed out. I can, yeah, I can't. I'm not going to be able to say that fast. J-Dod? I will call him J-Dog, and I will call you A-Dod. A-Dod. That wouldn't work. Yeah, anyway. So over to J-Dog we go. <laughs> All right. What we learned. Got, non-sports division. Yeah, non-sports. Uh, so what we learned, uh, I, I learned this just this morning. It was announced today. Andre 3000, uh, half of the, of course, iconic rap group, rap group Outcast, releasing a new album on Friday. First time in over 17 years that he's releasing new music. It's called New Blue Sun. But maybe don't get too excited. Not a rap album. Hmm. It is an 87-minute instrumental flute album. That's well, not everyone a joke. to hear Ron Burgundy play some jazz flute. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he plays a variety of different flutes, including uh, the contrabass flute, Mayan flutes, bamboo flutes, uh, along with other digital wind instruments. And the, uh, the, there's no lyrics, there's no singing, no rapping, no beats. It's just Andre 3000 playing flutes for, for 87 minutes. The track titles are really entertaining, though. Track one, the name of the track is, I swear I really wanted to make a rap album, but this is literally the way the wind blew me this time. I also really like track three, which is called That Night in Hawaii When I Turned into a Panther and Started Making These Low Register Purring Tones That I Couldn't Control. So there you go. Andre 3000 is back with 87 minutes of flute music on so Friday. So it seems as though that this album and the titles have enough self-awareness to know that he's going through his weird meta mid-career like <laughs> mental breakdown where you just start doing really off-the-wall bizarre projects because he's addressing it with the yes. song titles. He's like apologizing. He's like, I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I'm really I, am sorry. Yeah, I know you're exp- expecting me to spit hot fire. Instead, I am now a flautist. I also had no idea there were so many flutes. He's blowing hot fire. Yes. Well, there's got to be a better way to say that. <laughs> A-Dog, as, okay. the resi- as a resident musician, I, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. thoughts on this well, creative first of license. All, that- he stole my What We Learned. Boom! Oh that was that's a, right. Believe it or not, that was going to be my What We Learned, and that's why Laddie had the uh, Ron Burgundy <laughs> audio queued up and ready to go, because that was going to be my I What We Learned. I was impressed by that. And I was like, J- wow. J-Dog just walks in here, tramples over my What We Learned. His prep work is so good, he's stealing your prep work. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, to be fair, though. That's that- the key to good prep work, <laughs> stealing. It was Greg that shared that with me. I mean, as soon as that was made 
as soon as that came to light, I was just like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever. And like an, an 87 minute of just fl- instrumental flute music? Like, come on. That's, but How that, could you not release that? That's like an SNL bit about totally. the tortured artist. Yeah. Is it yeah. not? What did you release? An 87 minute flute instrumental. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a strange choice, but I'm curious. I will, I will definitely l- listen to it. Mook. I don't know what else to say other than it's a bizarre choice. Mook, how that flute. <laughs> okay, so it turns out A Dog does not have one. Yeah, no, no skin flute. <laughs> no longer has uh, one. The entire thing, though, I'm impressed by that. What's that? No skin flute joke through the it, None thing, of us though. made that joke. Yeah, I'm impressed. Until now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you've made it awkward. <laughs> okay, uh, fire the dumb matrix. Uh, where are we here? Da, da, da. Ah, yes, what we learned. Humanoid Editions brought to you by Get Fire Plan. Protect what matters most with comprehensive fire safety plans, monthly audits, and risk mitigation at $200 off. Visit them online at getfireplan.com. Oh my God, we're having a fire plan. Okay, so here's the thing there's a lot of people texting oh in with ticket emojis. Which is great. We've just trained them to do this now. There's no ticket giveaway. So I know we're disappointing tens of people right now. I'm sorry. Thank you for submitting what we learns, humanoids. But there is no giveaway today. Um, I, I, I'm sorry. I did not realize that this volume of ticket requests was going to be coming in. Uh, Gunner from Kelowna. Let's kickstart it with what else? A Bo, Bo Horvat. Horvat. What we learned. Hashtag WWO. What we learned. I will never disrespect Bo. He represented himself with class and never stopped working. Always professional. Besides, how can I boo someone that named his son after me? That's from Gunner in Kelowna. Gunner, <laughs> while I appreciate the enthusiasm, I do not think that was the origin story for Bo Horvat's son. However, I kind of lean in this way when it comes to Horvat. But I am also a realist. I kind of know how things are going to go tomorrow night yep. at Rogers Arena. I'm pre-disappointed. If that makes sense. Although, you know what? I've been surprised just take, taking the temperature of the fan base in the inbox today. I've been surprised by the number of people who are saying who are saying they aren't going to boo him. And, hey, he doesn't deserve boos. He did his best. And I think that's different as we talk about, you know, I'll tell you that for free, kind of gradually fading from people's minds. I think what we're seeing in the inbox today is more positive than we would have heard at the end of last season. Already, I, I, I think want, people are moving on. Yeah, I'm, I'll am i be curious because you know what happens when a crowd forms is you get a mob mentality. Someone starts something, the momentum picks up right away. I am somewhat... I don't know. Optimistic, I guess. I'm not an optimistic person by trade, but maybe, maybe this will. I think the, the play golf clap to me would also be hilarious because <laughs> it would be the most befitting response to the polite golf clap of a captain. What about Bo Horvath? Yeah. What about silence? Just that would be yeah. weird. And everyone eerie. just don't pay attention. But just, yeah, yeah. My, mild applause and then apathy for the rest of the game. Everyone no yeah. touches the puck. Just 18, like eighteen okay, thousand people golf clapping with zero cheering would be very funny. Can yeah. everyone just yell "meh" all at once? Like can we just coordinate <laughs> that somehow? All, they're all wearing corporate golf polos, right? <laughs> It'll be very, like Bruff loves to point out the captain golf shirt exists. Like that, give, that was Bo. Bo wore a golf shirt because he kind of was a golf shirt. Give him the reception that you know at the home opener when they're announcing all the players and then also like the coach coaching staff and the training staff like give him the reception that the training staff gets where it's like I don't really know who you are but we're, we're cheering for everyone so hey we'll add another one on we'll give you some claps too there and then we'll move on to the next guy uh, Sean from New West with a what we learned a very befitting what we learned hashtag WWL what we learned Sean from New West learned that a trip to New West 
was a recent prize on The Price is Right. I saw this clip yesterday. The contestants' guess was off by just a bit, over by a few thousand. Drew Carey and the contestant winner were then shocked at how, quote-unquote, cheap the trip to New West actually was. They do realize it was a trip to New Westminster, right? That's from Sean in New West. I don't think that they did fully realize it because when I watched the clip play in real time, Mm -hmm. it shows on screen a trip to Canada. So you're like, oh, great, Canada. There's lots of good cities in Canada. And then it was almost like the subhead very quietly was like, you will go to New Westminster. So there was that part of it. Um, I don't even know what the final dollar amount came in at. I couldn't watch the clip beyond Uh, 5,000 and something. I think was it. it? Yeah. Yeah. 5,200. Yeah. You get to stay at the key. I, I, it was it was hilarious. They cropped out the uh, SkyTrain station. I noticed in all the photographs. This is meant as why <laughs> it's easy transit to downtown Vancouver. It's the big perk of it of, I mean, of New West. The first thing I did was text former Halford and Bruff producer and notable New West resident Ian McClatchy, and I'm like, hey, look, they're coming. Maybe you can be a part of the prize pack, Clatch. Like you can take them. That's around, why it was so low. Go actually. see the sights. Maybe take them on a, a nice river walk. I don't know, but. That was a thing that happened yesterday. You got a what we learned for us here? Yeah, I do have a uh, what we learned here. It was uh, from Troy, the retired bread guy, who says, what we learned, F1 overestimated the interest in F1 in Vegas. Tickets and rooms have had prices slashed. Yeah, this is, I saw this story as well. So explain to me yesterday. what's happening here, because so, I've not paid So attention. F1 has this much hyped race coming up. I don't know if it's this weekend or, or the following weekend, but big race in Vegas. They spent huge amounts of money to buy a permanent site for the paddock, tore up the strip to do all this construction so the track can go down the strip. And then, of course, you know, charging absolutely astronomical prices for all the tickets, all the hotels like, hey, come, you know, get your room in Caesars Palace overlooking the track and we're going to charge absolutely through the roof. And now you're able to get all of those ticket packages at a steep, steep discount because they are not selling. Apparently, F1 people have said the track is not going to be good. It's not going to be entertaining. It's kind Uh of just I don't know if it's boring or what, but just they're not impressed with the track. And there's just not that much interest. And this is, you know, F1 has been on this kind of just incredible upward trajectory over the last three or four years this feels like maybe a little bit of hubris setting in and then pushing and oversaturating the american market because they added the one in miami as well now they've got this one that they spent so much money in i also don't think it helps that like max verstappen wins every race right and he's already won the championship it's about the spectacle not the actual competition right i I, here's what i know about f1 in this particular race and thank you for getting me up to speed all i knew was that This was the most expensive Grand Prix on a circuit that has 24 races on it and goes to some of the most expensive, opulent places in the world. And Vegas is topping all of that. Mm -hmm. So right there, you're setting yourself up for failure when you're talking about trying to be more opulent than Monaco and Abu Dhabi and everywhere else, right? Like, you got to remember where Vegas is in the current climate. It's really expensive to begin with. Like, gone are the days of the cheap vacation to Vegas. I've had friends that have just come back and said it was ridiculously expensive, right? To throw something on top of that, no wonder people aren't able to afford this. And no wonder that the ticket sales are lagging like they are. It was always designed to fall short of expectations. It it was supposed to be kind of like the crown jewel, the the crowning achievement of F1's takeover of the U.S., right? Right. And instead, it's turning in, apparently, to a financial disaster for them. The other thing that I did know about this is that they made a conscious decision that they weren't going to try 
try and grow the audience with a $2,000 get-in price. This was about catering to the wealthy yeah. F1 fans. Like, come to Vegas. And they're like, we've got other places to go to. You're not growing the, you're not growing the sport at all when you make the prices no. that high. You're no, no new fans are going to be able to get in. They're just going to bypass the event. You guys got what we learned back there? A-Dog, Laddie? Anybody? 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 Uh, okay, I'll go here. We got an unsigned what we learned. Uh, morning, boys and dogs. My what we learned. Unsigned, so it must be from Gary. Just wanted to give a shout-out to Team Canada from the Softball Worlds. Canada had a tough game yesterday, losing to Mexico, but looked to bounce back against Colombia today. A friend of mine's son is playing for them and is doing awesome along with his team. Maybe one of the dogs can push this to the top of the list. Let's give these kids some love. Vance, the insulator. Well, we've got a lot. We were talking yesterday about the Canadian Women's uh, University Championship which went down between uh, UBC Women's Soccer and Trinity Western. So shout out to the province of British Columbia for being a soccer power. And once again, late kudos for those that didn't listen on a holiday Monday to UBC for capturing the women's title in soccer at the university level. Uh, Dex texts in, uh, what I learned is that the Washington Wizards currently have the two worst team players in the league in Jordan Poole and Kyle Kuzma. Apparently talent doesn't win you games, but allows you to lose in the most excruciating ways as they gave up a 20 23-point lead uh, to the Raptors at the end of the game. And yeah, the blown lead last night, if you're not if you're not up on your Washington Wizards basketball, and I mean, why wouldn't you be? How are you not? Uh, the, the blown lead was one thing, but there is like one of the fun subplots of this NBA season so far has been just how unserious mm. and unprofessional oh, can Jordan wildly Poole. Wildly unserious basketball and, team. And to a lesser extent Kyle Kuzma, but really this is Jordan Poole. Just like, and you know, all the talk about, hey, he's ready to be the guy and he's go, he's getting out of Golden State where you know he's held back and he's he's a supporting cast. He's going to take over. It's going to be his team in Washington. It's an absolute disaster. There was a great video going around social media yesterday of him just ISO on him in a timeout where he's supposed to be listening to the coach. Coach is drawing up a play and he's just looking all over the place, talking to other people, mm -hmm. wandering away. And then as the timeout ends and he's going back into the court, he has to like step back and glance over his shoulder to make sure he sees what the play the play so is. What are we doing coach? Here? Uh, okay, Wait, what's going on? What's going on? Um, I they're the dynamic duo that's still trying to do alley oop dunks when they're, they're down, down 30. 35. Yeah, like that's great. <laughs> I like that there's a team. Because it is sort of a tank. They're two and nine. Their roster is not good, but it's not bereft of talent. These guys can play. They're just complete head cases. So it's almost like they're doing the tank with like the idiocy tank. Like these guys are dumb enough and won't pay enough attention that they'll do the tank for us, but there'll still be moments of entertainment yeah. where, yeah, oh, Kuzma did something cool and Jordan Poole did something neat. So they're not the traditional, like it's, I can, I'm hesitant to call it a stealth tank because. It just seems like nobody in this organization can do anything stealth, but it's a, they're going to be bad. The Wizards be really, really have an incredible legacy of just complete knucklehead players, too. Oh, yeah. Like, you think back to the, the Gilbert Arenas mm, era. Yeah, yeah, Nick Young. Like, oh, yeah. they've had some true, unserious basketball players. It's impressive for Jordan Poole to live up to that legacy <laughs> so quickly in his Wizards career. If you're, if you're a head case in the NBA, come we by We want DC. you. We want you. Uh, Peter and Cloverdale for what we learned. Hashtag WWE what we learned. I learned that I'm nervous for this Islanders game now. They have lost five in a row, so they're hungry. Horvat's coming back, and Barzell is playing in his hometown. There's a lot on the go. I did kind of think about this coming in, is that eventually, you know, a team will win a game. The losing streak cannot go on for forever. Mm. And I don't know if uh, Wednesday night in Rogers Arena is it, but the Islanders are going to be a pretty hungry and pretty desperate team. 
not only because they're losing, but their offense is just completely dried out. I've dried up. I would be very worried about the inevitable breakout game. They're going to have one eventually where they're going to find the back of the net more than once or twice in a game. So I would be worried about that. Barzell in Vancouver. I'd have to go back and look at historically if he's been one of those guys that's gone off against yeah. the Canucks. I mean, there's always the added motivation being a local kid, but I don't know if it's translated historically into big games. I have expect Horvat to get a hat trick tomorrow. That's what, probably going to happen. Right. Well, this is going to be a huge, you know, if I talk about the money on the board game or whatever, like mm-hmm. right. this is a massive one and, and it doesn't get a lot bigger. I wouldn't think for uh, for NHL players. I just, money I just don't board. want Horvath to folly him. That's all I want. I just avoid that. No to foleying, please. Um, One I'm, goal's fine. Well, I, I, guess, I guess the other part of all of this, too, is like we still need to wait and see what the blue line's going to look like yeah. if Susie's out. Right? Uh, 15 that, points in nine games for Barzell. So he has had a history of t- torching his former team. Okay, Peter and Cloverdale, you might be onto something there. Uh, this one comes in. What we learned is Johnny Hockey just going to ride the rest of his career off into obscurity in Columbus. Six points in 15 games. It doesn't look good. I, considering his performance, considering the state of the franchise, the Mike Babcock fiasco, the fact that it seems like Yarmo Kekalainen is just on probation and going to be fired at the end of the season mm-hmm. when it's no longer a distraction. You got it. Like, and he lives in Columbus. <laughs> How much is he regretting that well, decision right now? I, you know what? I actually don't know if he um, regrets it because I think there's a certain level of peace and harmony that Johnny Gaudreau has where he can just show up and play hockey yeah. and then leave and do other things. Like, I'm not saying he's like the most worldly or adventurous guy. I think he existed on ham and cheese sandwiches for two years, but he is a guy that. Just doesn't like, he didn't like talking to reporters. He didn't like talking to media. Mm -hmm. He had a very Phil Kessel vibe about him when I had dealt with him previously, where it was just pretty straightforward and simple guy, right? Mm -hmm. Likes playing hockey. Pretty cool that I make a lot of money doing it, but I don't need to, like, honestly, don't need to win a Stanley Cup and I don't need to be in a hockey mad market and I can be in a place. And it was hilarious when he said, he's like, I'm close to my family, but not that close. So I've got, he just is probably like, you know what? Things could be worse. And I hate to burst the bubble for all the listeners that think that every NHL athlete is hardwired competitively, that the only goal is to win a Stanley Cup for a lot of guys. A lot of guys winning is getting the contract that sets yeah. you up financially and sets your next generation of family up financially. That is the win. I don't even think though if, is he regretting leaving Calgary, but there were other options on the table, right? I feel like I think the Islanders were I involved. Don't, I, don't, I don't think that it went the way he thought it was going to go. Yeah. The Flyers deal and the Islanders deal, the way the ones that he wanted never materialized. Yeah. And then Columbus was there. Yeah. And I think honestly, I everyone thinks that it might have been a more thorough and deep look at free agency. I would not be surprised if he made that decision in a 48-hour window. He's like, "Yeah, okay. Let's do let's yeah, do the thing gonna, that I normally do, but I'll do it in Columbus." They're going to give me the money? All right. Yeah. Cool. And then he's like, "When does the check show up?" And then it's off to go play some hockey. That's and that's basically Johnny in a nutshell. Uh this one, uh, Table Saw James says, what we learned. So the Vegas F1 track is the Bo Horvat in a golf shirt of racetracks. Oh, man. People are, people are piling on. Calling into Austin, hashtag WW, what we learned. Halford's patience for the I'll tell you that for free jokes ended about seven days ago. It ended about seven months ago. And I know he didn't even say it seven months ago. but uh, And then Colin writes, I'll tell you that for free. Um, again. <laughs> Nailed it. I hate I hate relitigating this over and over and over. But it was a cheap heat WWE-esque promo. And it wasn't even some of the heat that you get from the good heels in wrestling. It was like a jobber trying to get heat before they lose. 
it wasn't that big of a deal. I don't think that there should be any disrespect taken by the fan base here. Greg, I know you like pushing back against this. Well, I was just going to read another text. Yes, it's an unsigned do. texter, though. What we learned, I learned no one wants to comment on the oft-reported rift in the Canucks dressing room that apparently no longer exists now that Horvat's gone. See... That's interesting. Mm. I don't know if I would classify it as a rift. I would definitely classify it as what happens when you have great uncertainty about your captain. Mm. Dysfunction, perhaps? Sure, right? Maybe not a rift, It is per se. fair to question who the leader of a team is when the guy wearing the C is clearly not in the future plans. And I think it was one of the things that did not help the Boudreaux situation at the beginning of last year. And I think that... It, in addition to a lot of other things, lack of structure, poor results, Demko injury, uh, injury, all added up to dysfunction. I Don't get me wrong. I think the team was completely dysfunctional last year. But to try and pinpoint it on a rift yeah. between one or two guys, I just think it's almost too easy. Not that we don't take the easy answers here on the show. Well, there was never any resolution to it. It's just kind of, oh, everything's good now. Yeah, and but it, it was it, seriously it, This is a classic chicken and the egg debate in sports, right. but mm-hmm. they're winning. It would be weird if everyone was like miserable. That would be super, super concerning if they are all miserable and, and, and feuding right now when they're winning, right? It, it's a lot easier for everyone to get along when things are going your way on the ice. True. James in QB, which I guess is Qualicum Beach, I'm going to suggest, or Queensboro, I suppose. Quarterback? I don't think he's in a quarterback. Hey, guys, before you end the show today, James wants to know, can you give us an update on Carson Soucy? We cannot, but fear not. Keep it here on your home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. Canucks practice at 1130 UBC today. Media availability shortly thereafter. So in a couple hours, you will find out what's going on with Carson Soucy and Jack Stadnika, whether or not he cleared waivers or not. Uh, But for now, the music suggests one thing. We got to get out of here for today. We will be back tomorrow. Jamie, thank you very much. Hope you had a good day today. Absolutely. Uh, Signing off for now, I have been Mike Halford. He's been Jamie Dodd. He's been A-Dog, and he's been Laddie. This has been the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.